Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Jason Greer. Jason is an employee whisperer, speaker, and consultant who helps companies solve the problems that keep them up at night. Hi, Jason. It sounds so much better when you say it. Really? Oh, you want to say it thank again? You. you can feel free to say <laughs> it again. Can I do a commercial for you? Please do all right, so. Let's I'm going to record you on my phone because that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I practiced all night. All right. <laughs> so, what keeps companies up at night? Um, a ton of things. You know, it's interesting because as a consultant, uh, I'm a labor relations consultant, which is a great way of saying that historically I've been the person who, if a company's facing some type of union organizing threat, uh, I'm a registered persuader. I come in and I effectively shield their organization from the union. Got ya. I meet with the employees, get a better sense as to what the issues are. And I work as a bridge between the employees and the employer. Okay. Uh, the other side of that is I do a ton of employee relations work. And what's amazing to me about employee relations is, you know, the, you know, people always say that there's, you know, there's a lack of common sense these days. Yeah. I don't know that there's ever been any common sense, right? <laughs> right. I think so. I think what what we are effectively we're a group of people who are trying to do our best, and we make too many assumptions about one another. And if you're a manager, or let's take the case of a middle manager, mm-hmm. right? Say she's working her butt off every single day, trying to get efficiencies right, trying to get processes right, trying to do right by her employees. She'll walk down the hallway and she'll ask her employees, is everything going well? Well, what are they generally going to say? Oh, everything's, everything's great. Everything's great. I'm yeah. doing awesome. I love the job. I love you. And she walks away and she's like, man, things are great. I'm doing a good job. <laughs> and then she gets those survey results three months later and she finds out that all her employees hate her. Right. Right? Right. And she can't figure out why. They're looking through the data. They're trying to you know, source the data, trying to figure out, okay, you know, why are we lagging in this in this area? Why are we lagging in this area? And they still can't come up with the idea of what's happening. That's where they bring someone such as myself come in. And I come in and I'll do what I call the deep dive assessment, where I will go directly to the employees and get a better sense from them as to what's working well, what's not working so well. What do they need more of? What do they need less of? Right. The biggest thing for my approach is I come in, I'm nothing. You know, I'm a consultant. I have the employee whisperer tag, which I love. But I'm nothing. What's most important to me when I'm in there is what is their experience like? More specifically, how can I convey their experience to uh, management? And so, and I, and I, you know, I so get it because obviously part of the problem with this manager that, we're, you know, our, our pretend manager that we're talking about right now sure. is that peop- they're not approachable. Right. Because if they were approachable and you felt like it was safe to share your feelings with them. Exactly. You know, then, but if they're like, Ooh, if we tell her she's not doing it, it's going to be hell to pay. So let's just go go with the it's okay. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Well, I think, I think it's a combination of that. And it's also, unfortunately, you have some organizations that don't get how they come across to not only their employees, but also to their customers. Right. So you might have a manager who really wants to be present for her employees. But it's the perception of the organization that says to that employee, you know, I might really like her. Right. And I might really want to share what my experiences are like, but I can't do it because I know that John, when he did it six months ago, he got fired. And I have a family that's completely dependent upon me. Exactly. So if they ask me how I'm doing, 
I'm great. I'm, just, I'm great. I'm f- everything's good. I'm great. Yep, gotcha. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. I mean, so I worked in the corporate world for a, about seven years, and okay. it just wasn't meant for me. <laughs> but uh, but that, hence the entrepreneurship, right? Sure. You know, I mean, but um, the thing that I I thought I found so challenging with it were it's all these different personalities in an office together showing up. 40 hours plus a week. Right. We all have to get along. And some people, they just, it was almost as if they just were, they they weren't aware people. Yes. They were not practicing awareness. So since they weren't really practicing awareness, they just had no clue what the hell was really going on. Right. You know? Right. And it, so it takes, and it's, it's, I think it's awesome that organizations call in a person like you say what what the hell's really going on here right (laughs) you know i love it it's people ask me all the time how did you get in this line of work and i will tell you i don't know it's i've been a social worker i've been a federal agent i've (laughs) you know you were a federal agent yeah but let me say this because my wife always gets on me when i say (laughs) right my wife always gets me because i'm proud that i was a federal agent but when I say that, people are like, what is it, DEA, FBI, CIA? I'm like, no, I was a, I was a board agent for the National Labor Relations Board. Ah, okay. It, what's fascinating is, and I appreciate, I appreciate that and how you just responded to me, because most people are looking around like, what in the blue hell is the National Labor Relations Board, right? Well, if you're not DEA or something like that, we can't talk anymore. No, right, exactly. But, no, but there are federal agents that I was thinking you were going to say IRS. I was going, oh my goodness. No, my sister. No, my sister. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got their own issues going on right now. <laughs> so what did you do, though, as a federal agent? Great question. So the National Labor Relations Board is an agency, and its sole responsibility is to effectively guard what we call the National Labor Relations Act which is a law that was created back in 1935. Okay. Um, the National Labor Relations Board really has two primary functions. One is to prevent and remedy what we call unfair labor practice charges. Unfair labor practice charges might be something like, uh, let's say company A is going through some type of union organizing and a manager goes to the employees with complete knowledge that union organizing is happening. And the manager says, look, I know you all are thinking about the union, but if you promise not to bring in the union, I guarantee you we're going to give you 15 bucks more an hour. Now, that sounds awesome. Everybody's all excited because they're about to get 15 bucks more an hour. They tell the union to go away. But what that manager is not aware of is that that manager is actually committed an unfair labor practice charge Ah, because that manager promised something that he did not have the authority to do. Got yeah. So that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting everybody excited, but... It might not actually happen. Yeah, you're getting everybody excited, but you're effectively bribing them too. Right, right yeah. Because right. you wouldn't be thinking about that 15 bucks more an hour if they weren't thinking about joining the union. Exactly. Right? Right. Uh, the other side of that is that uh, I will come in and conduct what we call secret ballot elections, where employees would vote either yes, they want a union, or no, they don't want a union. And I would come in, I was a junior board agent, so, uh, and I had wonderful supervisors. Uh, Don Gardner, Annette Lewis as well, but just wonderful, wonderful people who really helped me out. Uh, so I would go throughout the state of Missouri, uh, going up and down the highways, go to different parts of Illinois and conduct these elections. Got yeah. A lot of fun, great experience, uh, loved labor law, but knew I wanted to do something different and met a uh, consultant, and I'm not going to give him any publicity because he already gets enough of that, right? <laughs> uh, but met a consultant who... Uh, really changed my idea on what I could do within this game. Right. And 
got started in 2005 and haven't looked back. Awesome sauce. Oh, it's I been love fun. It. Yeah, my, but it's fun, right? Oh, my you've life been is doing fun. this. Yeah, you've been doing it for quite a while. I have. I mean, you you you're definitely successful at it. You know, you've yes, crossed over the mark of yeah, this business is here to stay, right? Because you know, it's always that first five years or five to seven years, like, eh, right? You know, so you're you're there and you're at this wonderful place and you get to do what your passion is. Absolutely. So, is there? In fact, let's go to a break because this is a bigger question than what we can fit in this first part. But we'll go to a break and I'll be right back with our next question with Jason. Awesome. All right, so I am back with Jason Greer. So, and I asked him before I could, before I was going to go here, but you have had, you shared some personal um, stories that, did they lend to what you do now? I mean, has it helped you to be better at what you do? Or oh, with, without a, without a doubt. I mean, look, we're all a collection of stories. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's the nature of the beast. I happen to have lived a life where I've been very successful, but I've been humbled far more times than I've been successful. Uh, you know, so victim of cross burnings when I was seventeen in 1991 so uh the things that the things that i saw through that experience the things that i saw my father go through things i saw my mother go through and ultimately get to a point where you know some 25 years later i was able to forgive the kkk for what they did to our family uh now there are a few situations that i go into where i'm generally scared Uh, i'm not saying that i know how to fight because i don't because if i don't drop you in the first two punches i'm in trouble Right. But, (laughs) but nevertheless, you know, I've, I've just, I've seen so much in my life, uh, to be 44 that there are a few circumstances that I go into where I can't pull on something. So where did you grow? Did you grow up here? So I grew up in Bridgeton. And there were KKK people out there for doing cross burnings. So it's fascinating. So, uh, grew up in Bridgeton and my mom was a nurse at St. Mary's health center in Clayton. Okay. My father was a principal at Garfield elementary school in Normandy, uh, back in the day when there was a Garfield and my father, so it was probably around 91. My father got his PhD in educational psychology. Father's an incredibly, incredibly bright man. Uh, he's 81. Uh, and he's looking around and he's seen a lot of his colleagues who happen to be white, who have their PhDs and they're going on to you know, bigger jobs within central administration or they were going to bigger schools. And he said, you know, I'm just as smart as they are. So why shouldn't I throw out my resume? Yeah. And, you know, you know, and I know I'm dating us here, but we're talking about the early 90s. So right. that was late 80s, early 90s. So you're talking about a lot of affirmative action. Uh, that right. was a big, the big debate, right? Mm-hmm. So... School systems had a quota, and I don't know if they still have this, but they had an interviewing quota that they had to meet. So a certain number of minorities, certain number of women that they would interview for these positions. My father's going around the country, he's interviewing, and no one is biting. And it's a letter was, you know, after a while, these form letters would come to him. Right. And they were so formulaic that you pretty much knew what they were going to say. Right. It was Dr. Greer. We appreciate your enthusiasm. We appreciate your, you know, your passion for kids. But unfortunately, we can't offer you a position because we need to see that you have experience educating other kids. Well, if you know anything about the Normandy school system, we're talking about a school system that's 99.9% African-American Hispanic. So other kids was code for white kids. 
right? Oh. Uh, but Dubuque, Iowa offered him a position as a principal at Irving Elementary School. I was a senior at Lutheran High School North. Always got to give that shameless plug, right? Because I love Lutheran North. And my parents decided that um, they weren't going to pull me out for my senior year. So they did a commuter marriage. And what we didn't know, uh, just to kind of sum it up, what we didn't know is that our family was coming into Dubuque under the constructive integration plan whereby we were the first black family to come to Dubuque under this plan where they were going to recruit over 100 black families into Dubuque over the course of 10 years. The problem is that you're talking about, you know, forced integration. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never heard of that before. You know, I think, I think, and I didn't understand it when I was still relatively young. Right. I think the plan in itself was a good start. Did it work? No, no. Um, so what happened was that when my father was announced as a principal at Irving Elementary School, uh, that's when for him the death threat started. That's when uh, the Klan decided to begin burning crosses. Uh, and my father was not the only African-American in Dubuque, so other African-Americans were being targeted. I was still here in Bridgeton with my mom, um, but it doesn't take long for Klan chapters to talk, right? And this is pre-internet. Right. So I guess either they're calling somebody or they're sending letters, whatever the case might be. But I guess going through that kind of experience, watching the way my father and my father was sort of the public face of it, mm -hmm. but my mother was the private rock, if that makes sense. So watching the way my parents held their marriage together, but really watching the way my mother helped me to navigate what I was feeling what I was experiencing and also trying to make sure that I didn't allow anger to consume me because it did. Yeah. It I did. mean, I can totally understand. I mean, and that, that's just, it sounds really scary. I mean, how scary is that to know that these people hate you well, based on nothing but the color of your skin? Well, I had no concept of it. I mean, look, I grew up in Bridgeton. I don't know anything about the demographics of Bridgeton now. Mm -hmm. But when I was coming up, we were like one of maybe two or three black families around that area, right? So um, I knew that people, there were some people, some kids in the neighborhood that liked to call me the N-word a lot. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was this kid, and I don't remember his name. I could see his face clear as day. It's probably good I don't remember his name. <laughs> you know, this, Look him up on right, Facebook Right, this day now. and age of Facebook, right? <laughs> but I remember he, he would ride his bike past me and because when I walk home from school, and he always called me chocolate chip and then try to kick me. Well, you know, I was a sensitive kid. And uh -huh. I, at the time, I wish I had some, you know, I wish I had some of that Mike Tyson in me, right? right. <laughs> so I could have gone crazy. The two punch thing. Right, the two punch thing. I, I don't think I could knock anybody down with two punches. You <laughs> never know. It, de it depends where the punches are aimed. <laughs> oh, right? oh, 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 well, I'll take a lesson. <laughs> hey, I got you. I got you. But I just, I had this idea that despite the things that I was seeing as a child, that the world had to be a better place. Then here you are at 17, and all of a sudden, you know, I got into the college that I want to go to, Valparaiso University. I'm dreaming of this better life. And then this happens. So I felt like, and I will, I will say to anybody that you're lucky if you don't remember when you lost your innocence, mm, right? 
Yeah. For me, I lost my innocence to an, ex- to an extent when I was 17. So here I am going to Valparaiso's campus and I still had excitement, but now I'm what, one of 17 African-American students in a class of 600, 700 people. And I'm in a dormitory where I'm the only African-American, right? And I'll never forget orientation for the dormitory. And I'm looking around and I think I see another black face. And I'm like, man, this is exciting. I'm going to go up to him and realize it was my reflection in the window. It was me on me. And, and please don't get me wrong. I have some wonderful, wonderful friends that I oh, met well, at yeah, Valparaiso. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. But I went in with this feeling of I had always been comfortable with this world as far as I understood this world. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like this world has, my worldview has been taken from me. And no one's given me an idea that's going to get better. Yeah, you know, it's there's 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 so many times I feel like we've gone backwards again. When are we going to really move all this forward? We went backwards again. We sure. need to move this forward. It's and for people that who really do want it to be, I mean, I have a whole thing about we're all connected. You okay. know, we're all a lot more alike than different. We have sure. our differences and thank goodness cuz the world would be really really boring if we all looked the same, you right. know. Um and that's part of I think the enjoyment of life is the diversity of life. Yes, ma'am. But why does it why is there such a force of people that are fearful of that? I don't it, it I just can't understand it. Well, I think, here's what I think, and this has informed the diversity work that I've done, um, but it's also conversations that my wife and I have every night, right? Mm -hmm. We are tribal. We are tribal in terms of, look, our world has evolved, right? I mean, look, we're in this beautiful studio. This is incredible. Uh, We're interconnected through cell phones. We're interconnected through social media. Everything's evolved except for our brain. Our brain still thinks that we are, you know, walking around like our ancestors did, foraging for food, trying to live this life of survival as opposed to this life of comfort. Uh And so when I'm in the presence of somebody I know, like I'll give you an example. When we started this interview, even before we started the interview, one of the things I really appreciated, you talked to me. Right? Yeah. You brought me into the fold. You let me know a little bit about yourself. We talked about business. We talked about different people. You smiled a lot. You made me feel like I was comfortable. Oh. Right? Understand that I'm a stranger. I mean, we've come into contact with each other right. over the years, but right, we right, don't right. really know each other. And you made me feel like I could be myself here. Well, what you effectively did was you took me from a perspective of, um, being a member of your out group and you brought me into your in group and when you brought me into your in group and you made me feel comfortable now all of a sudden I'm like man we got a lot in common this this, this lady's cool right thanks Jason that's so sweet to say but you know I have a thing of I feel like I know everybody sure like I have a thing of well we're all relate I mean I really do I feel like well we're all here we're all we're all one mm-hmm. and so to me it's like I just I feel like I just know everybody anyway so there's no reason to I'm like hi we're family what's up <laughs> well, but but along those lines I st- I think it's part of remember when I, we were talking about the tribal issue mm-hmm. some Back tribes the, are a little standoffish maybe some tribes are a little standoffish until they get to know people right 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 right, so right. they feel like you're not a threat right. but now 
let's introduce this barrier. So you're here, I'm here, and let's introduce this barrier called social media where I can't see you because the only thing I see in terms of social media, I mean, you might see Instagram videos or whatever. Right. But the only thing I really see, because we're the Facebook generation. Yeah, exactly. Is a picture and a bunch of words. Right. I don't know you, but it gives the illusion that I do. Yeah. Does that I make got, sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's tricking my brain because my brain is saying, well, we should have something in common, but I still don't know this person. Right. But it hurts when this person unfriends me. Yeah. Because it's rejection. Right, right. Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly. Yes. And I, th- I think from a diversity standpoint, it's, you know, people want to point their fingers at Donald Trump. I'm not going to give my opinion. I'm going to keep my opinion to myself. But I'm going to say that his rhetoric has given license to other people who have similar rhetoric. Uh, yeah, it re- that's that's the thing that right. bums me out. It's like, wow, were you guys just all just trying to play a game and now you're like, oh, now I get to talk out loud about it. I've been given license to talk. You know, and I'm like, ooh, you were thinking this the whole time? Yeah. But, yeah. But, but watch this. So my son, my son is nine years old. And I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind here. You ready? I'm ready. Donald Trump is the first white president he's ever experienced. You know, you're right. Yeah. Right? Ooh. Isn't that Ah, something? Yeah. Now, think about this. There was a movie called Head of State with Chris Rock back in 2001, 2002. And the whole gist of the movie was it was a big joke about a black president. Because there's no way we would ever have a black president. Right? Interesting. Okay. Then 2008, we have Barack Obama. 2012, we have Barack Obama. My son was born in 2009. Uh-huh. Got ya. So all he's known is an African-American president. How mind-blowing is that? Right. But then I'm fortunate that my son is nine and that he's not as aware of many of the political um, the political rhetoric that's going on now. Political, racial um, social rhetoric that's going on now because it's so divisive. Right. I don't want my son in the ways that, it's interesting, in the ways that many white families, white parents have told me that they work hard to make sure that their children don't grow up racist. Mm-hmm. I've had to do the same with my son. Oh, yeah. Because I don't want my son to believe that just because right. a certain person is speaking a certain way that that's indicative of an entire race of people. This is like the twilight zone to me. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is really crazy. No, that is a really interesting thought, though. I never thought about that, but yeah. You couldn't have convinced me 20 years ago that that would be my reality. Right. That is interesting. Thank you, Jason, no for problem. that insight. We're going to no take problem. a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Jason Greer. It's question time. And All right. let me just say, thank you so much for that insight. That was really interesting. So thank pleasure. you for that. Um, now, we kind of talked about this, but I was so interested in, in learning about this that I'm going to ask because I, I don't know that um, we didn't talk about it on the podcast. So I want everybody to know about Father's Support Center. Yes. Tell us about your involvement with the Father's Support Center. So um, I'm blessed to be, blessed and honored to be on the board of directors for Father's Support Center. And I'm going to tell you that um, Halbert Sullivan, I call him Mr. Sullivan, is an amazing, amazing man. Uh, He had this idea that 
fathers and their children should have relationships. They should be able to see their fathers in a positive light. They should be able to see their fathers working, providing, uh, standing up as uh, quality citizens, and more importantly, as heroes, because who doesn't want to look at their father as a hero? Right. Uh, The work that Mr. Sullivan has been able to do is just tremendous. I mean, this man has, he's touched my life, my life professionally. He was, in fact, he was my first speaking engagement. Oh, really? Uh, When I look back at the beginning of my career, I remember some people I would have to beg, please let me speak. You don't even have to pay me, just let me speak, (laughs) right? Uh, uh, Mr. Sullivan on the other side, and you know, he always tells me to call him Halbert. I refuse to. He, is, he will be Mr. Sullivan forever. All right. Mr. Sullivan, I said, you know, I'd like to be a speaker. And he goes, well, why don't you come speak to one of my classes? Just like that. Oh, and so he's officially awesome. my first speaking engagement. Uh, the work that he's done, the work that his entire staff has done, has really revolutionized the way that uh, fathers are able to be present in their families with their children. Because you consider, and I've gone through this myself, you want to believe that the court system is objective, but you find that in many cases, the court system is subjective to whichever gender they're going to lean to. And I'll let your viewers, you know, fill in, fill in the rest of the details. But nevertheless, many times fathers lose out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has, uh, Mr. Sullivan has a an attorney on staff who used to be a federal judge. He's got uh wonderful outreach people who are linking these fathers to jobs. They go through a full academic setting, you know, academic classes so that they earn certifications. Right. Uh, If you have a father who's not earned his bachelor's or his high school degree, they're getting their GEDs. Some of these fathers are going on getting their college educations. Mr. Sullivan is legitimately making life better for fathers. And And giving them all the resources and knowledge that they need. All the resources, all the knowledge that they need, but I will tell you that there's nothing like Mr. Sullivan sitting in a class, because I've seen it, sitting in a class telling these gentlemen exactly what they need to know about life. I love it. And so often people want to tune people out. I kid you not, those fathers that come back to Mr. Sullivan and said, you're right. And Mr. Sullivan's like, he's not cocky. He's just straightforward. Yeah. He goes, I know I'm right because I've lived the experiences you're going through right now. He is awesome guy. Oh, that is so okay. We we want to know him. I definitely want to connect you. <laughs> yeah, I want to know him. Um, okay, is there a video clip you have seen recently that really spoke to you? Gosh, um, yes, but for reasons that uh, might shock you. All right, let's hear it. So you've seen the video clip going around about the. Um, young white male who's wearing the Make America Great hat again. And he's uh, kind of standing there with a smirk mm-hmm. while the um, Native American elder, yep. indigenous elder is drumming right. and chanting. I remember when that first hit. And again, I'm of the Facebook generation. So I first saw it on Facebook. Right. And my wife filled me in more details of what was going on. My initial feeling was just anger. Like, who are you to smirk at this man, mm-hmm. right? And then I started finding out more details about the man. Uh, he's an elder. He's a Vietnam veteran, uh, Vietnam War veteran. And he's there um, 
sort of doing his thing. Yeah. And then I found out more details because it seemed like everyone had an opinion, but there were multiple camera shots. Right. 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 Of what happened. I'm not going to get into the details of what I believe happened, but I'm going to say this. We live in a society that is so quick to judge yeah. without quite understanding what we're judging. Right. And I don't know who was wrong. I don't know who was right. But I will say this, that your perception of who was wrong, your perception of who was right is based on whatever tribe you come from. Right. And I'm watching uh, through social media a number of white Americans who are defending the young man who are saying that formal apologies should go out to this young man because his character has been besmirched. Can I say that? Sure, yeah. Right? I see um, minority groups who are saying this is just another example of white privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, apologies should go out to this indigenous elder. Here's my take. I think that we live in a day and age in which we need to start dialoguing more, right? Yeah, we need to start a cl- talking. A clip does not tell us everything. But at the same time, I think that I feel like I live in this perpetual twilight zone because I gave you the example of right. of my son uh, for 98% of his life is only known African-American president. And Donald Trump is his first white president. I think that people need to be aware, whether they understand it or not, that when you wear certain things in public, even if you're white, you're going to be labeled. Mm-hmm. You're going to be judged. Right. Because a man who's making America make America great had today. That says something. That says right. something. What's fascinating is it gives the same implication as an African-American boy who's walking around wearing a hood. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because you're automatically going to label that person based on whatever your assumptions are. And I think it's just been amazing how social media has played on social media. Right. And that clip stands out to me. In fact, I'm going to use that clip in the diversity training because depending on what viewpoint you come from, you're going to see whatever it is your viewpoint says. Right? Right. Well, I have to, I have to share with you that I stalked you a little bit. And I was looking at your LinkedIn, okay. and there was a video clip on there that I loved. And it was a UCLA basketball player. Oh, I love that clip. Oh, my gosh. I, I that, clip that clip made me cry. Yes. And so when that, he's, you know, I don't, I guess he had, like, not made a basket or you right. know, didn't do what he thought he was going to end up doing in the game. And he was, he was walking from whatever had happened, and his head was down. And a teammate came up from behind him and took his, his chin and put it up, like, no, walk proud. You I nothing. love it. And I was like, oh. <gasps> And did you oh see my him gosh, do it? I love that so much. And did you see him do it? Yeah, and he was like, "Yep, gotcha, buddy." Exactly. I, oh, I I loved that clip, but I like, but so I just wanted to see where you were going to go with it. But I had to tell you that clip. Mm, hey, I thank you. It. Thank <laughs> you. I thought that was just amazing. Um, all right, what was your high school job? Sports. Sports. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> my okay. High, my high school job was, um, in fact, that's what my father would say. He said, "Your job is sports." Um, yeah, I have wonderful, wonderful parents. And, but they were hard parents too, right? Because I listen, you know, I watch these kids these days playing video games. I sound so old when I say that stuff, but, right? Playing <laughs> video games, days. right? On their cell phones and all that stuff. But my, go to school, come home, I'd be down to practice. I would get down to practice maybe around six, five thirty, six. Uh, my mom would pick me up, 
I was allowed to watch 30 minutes of television. And that was up till seven o'clock. And then from seven till 10.30, I did homework. Wow. And on the weekends, I could relax a bit. And then it was back to the grind. Gosh. But I'm glad they did it because right. I look at where my life is. They taught me work ethic. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. And that's an important thing, especially when you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> Absolutely, because it never stops. <laughs> if you don't you have know. work ethic, you, know. you cannot be an entrepreneur. <laughs> well, you won't have a business that's going to go anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, Jason, thank you so much. Hey, you were awesome. It was so great This has been you. great. And I'm glad we got to finally meet each other. And just, Definitely. I got to tell everybody, it was here at Chuck City. So I had talked to you before. I knew of you. You right. knew of me. And then I was, all of a sudden, this man's like going, waving at me. And I'm like... Hello, he must know me. Right. And then I'm like, hi. You're like, I'm Jason Graham. I'm like, oh my gosh, hi. It's <laughs> crazy. Podcast. That's right, because I was here I was here doing another podcast. Yes. And then I came into I came into the studio and all these gentlemen were raving about you and how much they love working with you. Oh, good job, Sam. So and and team. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm it's been wonderful being on your podcast. Oh, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. And can I say something to your folks? Well, yeah, and also when you tell them where they can find you. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Labor Diversity. But I'm going to say something. She is the real deal. She's Aww. as nice as you could possibly get. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, this has been fun. Thank you. Hey, it's a pleasure. So everyone out there, you have been listening to Mishmash Podcast. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and have awesome days. Thank you. Love you. Love you.